This week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, we are talking 3,000 years of longing. Aaron and Emily got a sandwiches for one day. Wait a minute, I forgot my introduction. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Oh, hey, it's me, Todd Gilchrist. Uh, I just had fajitas last night. <laughs> uh, that's like the best impression I've ever heard of myself. So Thank I you. That. I like Thank that you just wanted to like test it out right now. Like this is the moment. <laughs> we were we were in the moment. Yeah, we were just having in the moment, and so we had to keep it going. Hi, everybody. Well, out now is a film podcast where Amy and I discuss new movies weekly. Uh, we dig into movies, most of the review. The occasional commentary track or some other film movie topic. Uh, this is episode 505, 505. Oh, wow. What a nice number. Our, our first 500 era numerical palindrome. There you go. And this week we're talking 3,000 years of longing, a film three of us seen. And you can probably multiply that by 18. And that's the number of people that saw that in America this weekend. Oh. Um, but it doesn't matter because we're going to be talking about the film in full with our guest this week. Uh, joining us here, he is the editor, uh, the, the what the senior, <laughs> what's your title again on this? The senior editor for the film editor, the film the editor. Thank you, film editor at the AV Club. You've never had a friend like he. It's Todd Gilfrist. Thank you guys so much for having me on. I was uh, always, I, I literally this week was having a conversation with a friend about how I, you know, get invited on podcasts occasionally, and I was uh, very happy to 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 take a trip down memory lane thinking about the the fun okay fun times i've had with you guys um, and all i'm saying is that this better goddamn be fun or else i'm really gonna be pissed so it better be I, this just sounds like it was kismet that's, that's what i'm hearing <laughs> but todd yes good to have you back here with us as always and uh yeah i'm excited to talk about the the film with you and abe because I, i'm curious of all of our thoughts on this movie mm. but let's get to some show notes real quick first uh first up uh, uh, commentary track. Uh, this is near the end of August, but our August commentary was for the f- classic film noir, Kiss Me Deadly. It was a lot of fun to record. We had a lot of good times talking about that film and Larry and a lot of information and what have you. Uh, so feel free to check that one out onto iTunes, where you can also find the rest of our episodes, and you can also give us a rating and review, which would be wonderful if you want to search Thank our you show. So much in advance. Exactly. Uh, is that the impression still? <laughs> the impression that I get. <laughs> okay. <laughs> It's the impression that you get. Bum, 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 bum. Oh, that's totally offbeat. My bad. <laughs> that, that was not Mighty Mighty. I apologize <laughs> to the Mighty Mighty boss, too. Okay. Um, <laughs> what, uh, you know, Todd's just mentioned that he's he's guesting on this podcast. I want to note that I've guested on a couple podcasts recently oh. as well. Um, I was on the Battleship Pretension podcast once again. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're friend of the show, David Bax. Uh, we talked about uh, directors that didn't quite pan out. Oh, like directors that like started off strong and you're rooting for them, uh, but they just can't seem to like match the energy they brought in their first few films. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. So give me, give me one of them. Uh, the the one that comes to mind randomly is, is DJ Caruso, because I really mm. like The Salt okay. and Sea and every movie since I, I do not like from him. <laughs> good poster. Uh, sure. Yes, it is a good poster. Yeah. Back tattoos. <laughs> he does that back tattoo. <laughs> Uh, Alexander McKendrick. Sorry, Alexander, Alexander McKendrick. McKendrick directed uh, the Sweet Smell of Success, and then nothing else. So I was going to say, oh, that would be good. Uh, yeah, and, and Charles Lawton, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a slacker. That's, that's what they called him. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> but, but yeah, there's a, there's a lot of fun <laughs> conversation about uh, various directors from various areas about this topic. Uh, the other Steven thing Spielberg, was, that's another one. Who yeah, fell he off. Like, <laughs> he, he came, yeah, he came out with Sugarland Express, and people are like, "This guy's got some good." Between Duel and that, we're seeing where I nigh. Then he went and made some crazy shark project, and just like I mean, no one, no one talks about it. Like it's I definitely know. not coming out again just at random because why not? So yeah, there's plenty, plenty of filmmakers covered. <laughs> Uh, the other podcast, Con Air, the podcast, hmm. uh, friends of the show, Mark Hoffmeyer and 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 Jay Cluett are doing a, a scene by scene breakdown. Yeah, of 1997's classic action film, Con Air. Uh, so I recently talked about Ooh, it so, uh, from wow. that film as well. I, I gave them Todd's uh, email, so they'll be letting him know shortly. So he's not <laughs> there as well, just based on the sheer enthusiasm I knew he'd have the second I mentioned Con Air. Oh, nice. Um, so what a predicament. It's a different Nicolas Cage movie. I, mean, I can't wait. Movie. I can't. I cannot wait. Uh, but yeah. Uh, last thing here, of course, it's the Summer Movie Gamble X breakdown Ooh, for the week. This is the last week we'll be doing this because next week we'll have the results. The end. We'll have the end of what we think and what the results are for the top 10 highest grossing movies of the summer at the box office. Um, but this week, it's the end of August. <laughs> you don't tend to expect super high numbers, and that's exactly what happened. Um, movies that are definitely not going to be at the end chart, but don't mention them anyway. The Invitation was one of the main releases of this week. That was in first place uh-huh. at $7 million. Um, unless it makes another $89 million. I don't think it's going to be counting at number 10. <laughs> well, um, joke's on you. Uh, but <laughs> Bullet Train... Uh, that okay. it that made another 5.6 million. It's at 78. It okay. is in the most curious of positions whether or not it can top Black Phone within the next seven days in order to secure what place on the top ten it will have at the domestic box office for the top ten. Okay. Uh, so maybe I, the uh, maybe Bad Bunny's performance at the Video Music Awards this evening um, will really you know sort of send people into the theaters. I hope uh, so. Good. Give it a <laughs> yeah. little boost. Yeah. Now, now you're telling. Now I know that the VMAs apparently happened this week. <laughs> so, that was it's all over Twitter. Me. I get. I guess so. I'm not on VMA Twitter. Um, well, you need to get on that. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, so yeah, Bullet Train making some money. We'll see what happens. Uh, Beast made another 4.9 million this weekend for 20 million total so far. Again, not a big contender in this regard. Top Gun 4.7 million, uh, putting it at 691 million domestic. Wow. Uh, if it passes like 700, I think it passes Black Panther at that point, uh, domestically. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see, Dragon Ball Super, Cold Superhero, uh, another 4.5 million. Not a lot, and not expected. Kind of, kind of a big front-loaded movie there, but still mm-hmm. made 30 million for a you know random anime film like that. Not you know, there's nothing to scoff at. Mm-hmm. Um, and the rest is like about the same. But I will note, 3,000 Years of Longing uh, came in at a 2.8 uh, million this weekend. Okay. Uh, it's not like I expected this to be a box ops dynamo. We'll talk about this more, but you know, maybe advertising it would have helped. It would have maybe made a difference <laughs> to some degree. Well, yeah, we'll, de- we'll definitely chat on that. Um, yeah, I'll just I'll also know where the crawdad sings. It's uh, at where two, do they sing? It's a number 10. It made 2.3. It's at 81. Another curious possibility. 81? As to, wow, yeah, as to whether or not that makes the top 10 domestically. <laughs> like, I'll be. Like like bullet train has to slide past that, but, but I, who knows? Maybe there'll be a, a random wow. upsurge for Labor Day weekend. But very curious to see what this number ten slot's going to be on the old uh, mm-hmm. box office. But 
we can save all that uh, and talk more about it next week when we have the final results. But yeah, certainly, uh, you know, there's always a bit of a bit of a run at the end there. So we'll see what happens. Okay, that's show notes. Let's move on now. Let's get some out now cookies. Trademark. Each week, Trademark. All right. Abe. <laughs> yes. What have you seen recently? I rewatched uh, a John Woo classic, Hard Boiled, All for of no it? other reason. What's that? All of it? All of it. Ooh. I know. And you're probably like, well, Abe, how can you watch like a two hour and eight minute movie and not watch something that's 90 minutes? like i don't know i think that i was just really in the mood for uh watching some hong kong action because we've been talking about it for a while and here i am just putting it on and just uh just noting that it starts off immediately with a giant action set piece and then moves almost immediately into another giant action set piece almost immediately into another giant set there's like five giant set action pieces in this movie and it just it just nonstop. And Tony Lung looks like he's 19 in it. Uh, and Chao Yun Fat looks like he's like, you know, 21 in it. So super young. John Woo's in it too. He, he I, I didn't notice. Yeah, I didn't even notice that he was a bartender until like this time around. I'm like, oh, that guy looks really familiar. Of course, yeah, he's a bartender. Yeah. So he always yeah. wanted to be an actor. <laughs> he Hard did. Boiled. He wanted to be an actor. Go check it out. <laughs> yeah, Harboy yeah, was great. Yeah. No, no complaints. Mm-mm. It's no killer, in my opinion, but um, the killer, yeah, that's a debate for another day. But I think well, I, I, the killer is my favorite John Woo, certainly of his Hong Kong films, and I, yeah. I think it's tighter than Hard Boiled, even though I liked Hard Boiled. I, pre- I prefer the killer, but I mean, it's not you know, it's, it's not like Hard Boiled. I, I sink down way below either. It's, you know, they're both. Well, guess what, guys? I also watched clips from the killer after I watched Hard Boiled, so covered my bases. Good. <laughs> good mustache in that movie yeah so good so it good. Is really it's good. good it's a good mustache it's good callbacks from the beginning and the end of the movie as well so power friendship yeah <laughs> yeah i mean if you if you watch the killer abe you should just be you I, you should be just watching rrr at this point you should you're like I, right, I, you're right in the zone to watch all of this right now <laughs> this is very true this is very true you know what i'll tell you what before the end of the summer i will have watched rrr like summer, as far as like September twentieth. By then, our, our, <laughs> by the end of our summer gamble, I will have watched RRR. Well, that excites me. I'm, I'm very happy to hear that. That's that's good. I will know. have watched your number one movie of the year so far. It's Todd real Gil- good. Yeah. Todd Gilchrist, what have you seen recently? Um. Well, actually, I saw Jaws in 3D this week. Oh, How did that go? It went great. Um, I had watched um the film over fourth of july weekend out of some sort of uh, nationalistic obligation um and also the <laughs> fact that that uh that i that julie and i at the time were were ailing from covid but um and and we were you know marveling even then at how good it was and um i got an invite to go see it in 3d and and i was like yeah all right let's do it so we went up and um Sure. And, and it, uh, first of all, it looks great. I mean, the thing is, it, it's, it's easy to think about like, oh, would, would an older movie adapt easily to, you know, being converted? And the truth is that like Spielberg's camera is so uh, like f- smooth and the, the, the editing is so fluid that it, it looks fantastic. Hmm. Um, but, and so it's sort of like, I, I can't even remember the last time I've seen it on the big screen. And so seeing it this way, it was 
both it was you know very immersive it was a great way to see it but also if you just love the movie you could go see it you know just to see it on the big on the big screen it, it looks uh, incredible so i, I, I intend re- to and it's coming out on imax this week and I've, i i've seen it with my lovely girlfriend on like an out like an outdoor screening which is still a big projection but i've never seen it like yeah. in a theater before and so like there's the imax option and there's a 3d option it's not like I was sitting there being like, I need to see this in 3D. I will see it in IMAX. But I'm just curious. I yeah, I was curious about the just how that conversion worked. And it doesn't surprise me what you're saying as far as Spielberg's style and what he's doing. And it finally made something worth watching, huh? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I saw that. Um, I watched Natural Born Killers on Friday night. Um, and that was a, a, a fun revisit. Um Although I'm pretty sure it was since it's on Netflix, I think it was the R-rated cut. So, mm-hmm. um, so you, you know, get to a few see of the Tommy little... Lee Jones's head like being plopped around. At some point. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's also no POV shot through a bullet hole in Robert Downey Jr.'s hand. Mm-hmm. Um, but very good. And um, I think other than that, I saw this movie. I started watching this movie. I haven't quite finished. Called Death Game. Um, Grindhouse releasing put it out on a on a new Blu-ray set. And um, nice. that's our, uh, I, I didn't know until I started watching it that it was um, actually the film that inspired um, Eli Ross movie Knock Knock. Um, and it's a, it's an interesting movie. I mean, I was sort of reading Wikipedia about it and they're talking about how there was some debate about how much of it was really a commentary and how much was just pure exploitation, which I feel like is like the constant discussion that happens over almost every ex- old exploitation movie. But um, uh-huh. I- I'm not sure that there's any real commentary, but you know, it's uh it's, it's a fun, nasty little movie. So I, I recommend it. Um, and I can't wait to finish watching it uh, probably tonight as soon as we're done with this discussion. All right. Good on you. I've seen a few things. I did see the new release of the week, uh, the invitation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's weird because it's not like the movie itself is really hiding it, but like the marketing kind of wants to, as far as like what's going on with uh, Nally Emanuel's character going to this house in England. Um, but I Vampires? Will... Well, okay, if you're just going to shout it. <laughs> it's in the trailer. It's not in the trailer. It is in the trailer. Is it? You know what? I'll say it, this. Is it in the trailer? It, <laughs> yeah, I think it is. It, I... That's like, I was like, why would they reveal this? Here's the thing. When it comes to horror movies, I don't tend to watch trailers, but this one that kept popping up every now and then, so I just kind of stopped watching after like a minute. It actually go- says it's vampires straight up in the movie in the trailer. At the end, there, everyone's got fangs and they're drinking blood at a at a at a wedding. Yeah, it's it's, it's pretty pretty much a. All right, complete... so they just they it's, just knock it's it out. It's kind of a bummer, yeah. But oh. anyway, well, that's well, all right. <laughs> Honestly, I just wasn't aware because I just like I literally forced myself to just like not mm-hmm. pay attention to it anymore for the sake of like. Just seems like it's going to tell me a bunch. I don't need to know. Sure. Yeah, understood. Well, at least I went in fairly blind then. Uh, well, yeah. There's. I mean, it's it's essentially like a twist on Bram Stoker's Dracula. Like that's what it seems like it wants mm. to be. Um, and it's it's halfway decent. It it feels okay. like it's because it's PG thirteen. It feels like it's an R-rated cut away from being like okay. Like it has lots of problems, but it seems like if it leaned more into like the gore and stuff, mm. it could get away with some of the other things it's trying to pull off. Um, it's not a hell. It's not much of a recommendation. It's more of like, well, it's on. It's that. It's out there. <laughs> yeah. It's not. You don't need to see it. Um, definitely not a recommendation. Is for me time. Uh, this is the Kevin Hart, Mark Wahlberg buddy comedy, uh, from John Hamburg. Uh, that's on Netflix now. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's bad. <laughs> oh wow. It's, uh, it's probably you don't ba- say. 
it's better than the previous <laughs> Kevin Hart Netflix joint uh, venture with Woody Harrelson, the man from Toronto. It's oh yeah, it's better than that. Uh, but that's you know, it's like didn't I, that just come out like a month ago as well? Yeah, but that's yeah. like I, I climbed out of like you know a, a horrible situation and arrived in a new one. It's like this is this this didn't make it better. I mean, it's just, so it's 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 not good. Yeah. <laughs> like they, but like Wahlberg and Hart have more chemistry than Woody Harrelson and Hart do. Uh, which is something, I guess, except it's the worst kind of Wahlberg for me as far as this kind of like, <laughs> like, you know, feel feels confident Wahlberg. I I'm not a fan of that kind of Wahlberg. So, oh, OK, yeah. You need vulnerable uh, Ted Wahlberg. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Um, let's see. Samaritan uh, arrived as well on streaming this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the uh, Sylvester Stallone aged superhero film. Um it's from the director of Overlord, a film that I quite enjoyed. Oh yeah, uh, and so I, I was, I was, I mean, and that being being Stallone, I was curious. And this is a, it asks a lot of like, it, it introduces a lot of neat ideas, and then just doesn't know how to deliver on them, which is unfortunate. And it's, you know, it's one thing to be a low budget film, but it's another thing to just like have a script that that seems like half formed. So it's mm-hmm. like there's elements here that I wanted to appreciate, but then it just didn't really take it anywhere all that interesting. Um, but you get to see Stallone like act like an old superhero which is like well that's not nothing i guess mm-hmm. uh, so i mean it's on amazon it's you know it's the kind of thing where it's like well it's on the front page what if i clicked play <laughs> <laughs> um let's see two more things one is called burial um this is set in post-world war ii like right after the end of world war ii and it has this troop of russian soldiers trying to take back the secret cargo uh to russia it turns out that it's the body of hitler they want to take what? it back to Russia. Uh, and lo, lo and behold, a, a German troop uh, is is going after them as well. And so it becomes basically like this action thriller um, between these two groups, uh, one trying to get back the body of Hitler and one trying to, you know, get rid of these guys and take it back mm-hmm. to Russia. Uh, it's kind of solid. Like it's it's like an out there pre- premise. But I was like, OK, I, that's 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 a that's a new idea. Yes, and yeah. it, but it delivers on some solid action sequences as far as like this kind of movie goes. So I was I was into this okay. uh, burial, and the last one, uh, Barbarian. I will say nothing about this film except oh. um, it's great. Uh, go see it. Go do nothing to learn more about it. The marketing, un- apparently unlike the invitation, has been incredibly spoiler light. I hope it yeah. stays that way. There, there's nothing you should see to let you know what this movie is about. Even the trailer itself, which is already pretty spoiler free. I'd still say not watch it if you haven't seen it already. Just go on the fact that Barbarian's good and just go watch it. Yeah, I've also heard that same thing, which is like, just go watch it. It's, and so, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, I don't know if I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't take it from me. Take it from me. And I, I put a, I put a <laughs> thumbs up, and my 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 tooth had a small tr- like charm that like twinkled oh. out the second I did that. Well, Todd, you don't have to take my word for it. And he's winking at you. That's that's what's going on. <laughs> okay. Okay. No, All right. I'm not, I, winking. I hear... I'm not winking. LeVar Burton is winking at you. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. He's my roommate. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> oh, you know what? Uh, breaking yes. came. Breaking came out this week as well. That's the John Boyega uh, bank hi- bank hostage uh, thriller. Mm-hmm. Uh, Boyega is very good in that movie, and I would recommend it solely on on his performance as well as the support. I mean, Michael K. Williams is also like the the, the yeah, cast the is good in general. Like, yeah, I think I think the, and it's his, his last role. Like the movie right. itself, I think is good, but I think the performances are are great in that movie. So I, I okay. recommend it on, on the strength of that. Okay, that's enough with this. 
Trademark. Let's move on now. Let's get to some trailer talk where we talk about one of the newest movie trailers of the week, when it's coming out, when we thought of it, what have you. This week we are talking Empire of the Light. Uh, this is the latest Sam Mendes film. And the very succinct description is a love story that takes place in an English coastal cinema during the 1980s. Mm. Uh, the film features Olivia Coleman, Colin Firth, Toby Jones. Uh, Todd, where, where are you with, with Empire of the Light so far? Well, first of all, you know, I thought you were going to be talking about Empire of the Sun. So oh, okay. I was, a little, yeah, yeah. I was not really prepared for from that Rapscallion Spielberg again. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, no. I that which we is can go into full spoilers on that movie. Uh, yeah, it's one of my that's one of my favorite movies of all time, actually. Nice. Um, yeah. and um, but no, uh, Empire Light. You know, I, I, I like I like Sam Mendes. Uh, I do think he's a good filmmaker. I think he's you know he's made some some duds but he's made some really good movies um and it's interesting that within like a day of this premiering i had seen or heard somebody talk about the fact that um kevin smith is making his next movie which is about movie hopping in the 1980s now suffice it to say that i don't think that kevin smith is an equal to filmmaker to sam mendes but it is does it it's i think it's a really interesting sort of timing um, that we are now getting, you know, some movies that are very much about the escape, the escapist pleasures of going to the cinema uh, in a post-pandemic world. I think maybe more than ever, that was something that was brought into focus for a lot of people who make movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I mean, it looks beautiful. Um, it's been about 50 years since I watched um, Cinema Paradiso, so I need to definitely revisit that but you know it clearly owes um uh, seem at least a visual debt in the trailer to giuseppe tonatori's film um mm-hmm. and um you know i mean I, I it's like most things I, I look forward to seeing it i hope that it's great um and um you know it looks tight uh, <laughs> it looks tight <laughs> i can't wait for that to be on the poster tied <laughs> I, I would love that. I think that's what Colin Firth said when he saw the first uh, the first footage from the Daily. He's like, "Oh, it looks pretty tight." Yeah. <laughs> Good job, Sam. For this guy just using like California slang, looks tight. I um, you know, I I actually I you're right to call out Cinema Party, and that's not the least obvious one to do. Like I I actually did recently watch it because it came out on 4K from Arrow not too long ago, mm-hmm. and I, I finally got around to watching that that 4K. And yeah, there's it's certainly time nicely with seeing a trailer like this and i am curious you know how it's going to play out as far as a sam mendes drama goes it seems like we got we've gotten a lot of like action war mendes as of late and right. uh, not not too much on the on the drama side i can't say i have uh, you know a desire for him to stick with one end of the spectrum or the other but uh, but him getting back to you know this sort of era uh, the the 80s and uh, working in this this fashion i am curious but it's a you know he's a very good visual filmmaker, undoubtedly, and he has Roger Deakins in tow here, so I'm not going to be surprised if it looks the great. Deekster? The Deekster? The Deekster, yeah. So that's what he refers to himself on the podcast now. Yeah. In real mm-hmm. life, it's Raj. And on the podcast, <laughs> it's the Deekster. The Deekster, yeah. <laughs> Nice. Uh, so I am curious. Um, yeah. And, I, you know, I'm optimistic as well, because, again, Sam Mendes, like you said, I mean, he's he is a capable filmmaker for sure. Yeah. But, Abe, how about you? Where are you with this film? Um, I can't wait for Olivia Coleman and Michael Ward to just uh, lock all the people that have been bad to them in a movie theater and then just light the films like on fire um, while they just laugh uh, in the mist. <laughs> so 
uh everything you guys said is is i just want to echo which is i also had cinema cinema paradiso vibes from it but uh todd thanks for giving me the the note that um there's gonna be another movie about the 80s coming out uh so it feels as though i mean to be to be fair that was like 40 years ago like the 80s now uh so i guess that it makes sense that um that is that is looked on upon as nostalgic vibes these days but I still think of them as like 10 years ago. I guess I'm just stuck in the 90s. <laughs> but uh, I'm excited to go check it out. Uh, it's a solid trailer. Yeah, you're stuck in the 90s. I mean, you just watched Hard Boiled because why not? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, my movie stars don't age. I didn't watch Shang-Chi with Tony Lung. <laughs> uh, well, Empire of the Light arrives in theaters uh, December 9th. It premieres at TIFF in September. Ooh. So there will be some early word. Okay. On the on the film itself, but yeah, uh, December 9th. Okay, let's move on. Let's get let's add some trailer talk. Let's move on to uh, to our uh, our main review for Three Thousand Years of Longing. My name is Alethea. My story is true. I am a solitary creature by nature. I have no children, no siblings, no parents. I did once have a husband. If there is fate, who can say? But in the Grand Bazaar of Istanbul, I chose a memento. I like it. Whatever it is, I'm sure it has an interesting story. So what would you wish for? What is your heart's desire? I do have a question. What does one do with three wishes? You'll see. Okay, that should have been some of the trailer for 3,000 Years of Longing. Adapted from 1994's The Djinn in the Nightingale's Eye by ASB director George Miller has long wanted to adapt this short story for the big screen. Despite next to no marketing, the film was finally released this year. Tilda Swinton stars as Alethea Binney, a narratologist content with her state of solitary solitude. During a trip to Istanbul, not Constantinople, she happens upon an ancient bottle that is revealed to contain a djinn in the form of a shirtless Idris Elba with pointy ears. Alethea's reluctance to make wishes she has been afforded leads to the djinn telling multiple stories of, ex- of his experiences over the years he suffered and benefited as a wishmaster. Todd, I think it's fair to say you are a George Miller fan. How does this film stack up against his oeuvre? Um, you know, it's interesting. One of the things that we did at the AD club, actually, in the lead up to this was we decided we were going to rank all of his films. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized that there were a couple that I had not seen. I had actually never watched Babe Pig in the City, for example. Um, it was, it was, I know the original film very well, but which of course he did not direct, but I had never seen that one. And, and so I sort of, not only like made an point to watch the ones that I hadn't, but also to kind of figure out a rudimentary, which probably, and, and, and eventually I'm sure changing ranking of his films. And I actually put this somewhere sort of near the middle, um, really more in sort of um, an acquiescence to the fact that our, our reviewer who wrote about the film for us, I didn't, I actually did an interview with George Miller, but, but um, they reviewed it and they, um, were not as complimentary of it as I was, which I, I really liked it. Um, I think it's a really terrific movie. I think that it's, I would personally, in my personal ranking, put it up closer to the top of his filmography. Um, 
but I think it's a it's a really wonderful, um, really beautiful film. Um, uh, like you know, I mean, photographically, of course, but also just sort of. Um, I think that it's it's themes and it's um, it's themes in terms of the ideas it's exploring and themes that are drawn out of the stories that it tells are are really gorgeous. Um, and I, you know, it was one of those things where as soon as I saw it, I knew that I wanted to take uh, take my wife to see it. Um, she's a huge fan, as I am, of The Fall by Tarsim. Mm-hmm. And this film really, really evoked that for me in a really strong way both visually and thematically and um you know it's a movie that i think is really going to appreciate over time in terms of people's um enjoyment of it abe how about you i'm very curious what your thoughts were on three thousand years of blogging yeah i also came into this movie with um a a very open uh mind and i i started watching it and i was thinking to myself wow yeah i didn't realize that its marketing was uh, very poor because this is not the movie that I think a lot of people were maybe may have been expecting it to be given the the upbeat music um, and the cuts to facial expressions and maybe like a, a dry joke. Um, so it was one of those movies that I unfortunately didn't think really fell together for me. And I think that it really is a shame because I totally agree with Todd that I think maybe like in a year's time, I'm going to watch this again and be like, man, this is like one of the best movies of the, uh, of 2022. Um, but when I was watching it through, there was like some, some choppiness that I felt, uh, when it's coming back and forth in between, uh, the, the two sort of storylines here. Um, but ultimately like I do see everything that's going on, which is a really nice story about being alone and sort of like grief and, um, sort of like understanding, perhaps who you were meant to be with, uh, which is a really cool storyline. But I also thought of uh, stories that also tell stories, like movies about stories that also tell stories. Um, and so I did think about The Fall as well, and I think that's a, a really prime example of something that I think maybe hits a little bit better for me. Um, I also thought about like uh, The Adventures of Baron von Munchausen and even The Green Knight that we that we watched just a couple of years ago or just even last year. Um, so... I think that there was a lot there that I liked, but watching it, I was kind of bummed out by just being taken out of things and then being thrust into other things. And yeah, anyway, I'm curious what you think, but I also am curious about a rewatch about this movie as well. Well, uh, you know, it's funny. We just talked about Idris Elba last week um, for a beast and you know the, the the question arose you know like what kind of film should he be taking and you know where his status is or what have you and it's like this is this is exactly what he's capable of doing just as well sure. as being you know a capable lead actor here's here's this kind of like more eccentric character role and he nails it along with Tilda Swinton um they're great in this film and I'm just referring to the sequences of them in a hotel room talking um which mm-hmm. I found to be in just as intensely cinematic as the very stylish uh, memories that he he shows us uh, uh, to these you know older times of like the Ottoman Empire and what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, this is my kind of movie for sure. Like I, I was so into what this was selling, uh, even when it gets to its third act where it takes kind of a big swing, and even beyond like how much fantastical stuff it's doing, it's it's still operating on a, a sort of a different pace, a different level, and I can see that kind of throwing people off. I, I still like was so happy with like seeing this 
kind of adult themed story where you have two people just having honest conversations that happen to have this like big stylish bent to it. Uh, it just very much satisfied me through, throughout its running time. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, the falls come up a number of times already, and that makes plenty of sense. I actually did rewatch the fall uh, as well because I own it and I'm happy. Yeah. That's why I'm happy to have physical media where I can just happily watch the fall whenever I want to, because it's not streaming anywhere, which is a shame because that movie yeah. is pretty great. And, you know, regardless of if I think that movie's better, I still, you know, looking at just this movie, I thought it was pretty terrific all the way through. It has, uh, you know, I, I can see what you're saying, Abe, as far as it has some, some like some pacing things it's going for as far as mm-hmm. various cuts back and forth, especially towards the end where it's just kind of, the kind of energy it's it has going through the first two thirds of it, it kind of goes in a different direction, and I can see that being jarring in some ways. But at the same time, watching it, I'm just thinking the things that I'm questioning more of, or having uh, you know more putting more effort into wrapping my mind around. That just makes me feel like I'm going to appreciate it even more when I watch it again. Um, yeah, like I anticipate appreciating even more about this film than I already do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as it stands. I, yeah, I was just very, the the approach it takes to you know, a person that's you know weary of getting what they what they do or don't want. Th- that's interesting. It's interesting to me to see a, a movie about someone that has wishes and doesn't want to use them because of awareness of how that goes. Right, and I like seeing you know Miller and his team explore that idea both visually and through the, the script they've constructed here so yeah I know I think this movie's pretty terrific well, well I guess it, I'll just leave <laughs> <laughs> sorry Todd no no I was Why is say, he slamming I mean, the door I, <laughs> you know if I'm I, if I may I mean the thing to me is not that I think that it's about like what what it's what really it struck me about it the most was the fact that i feel like it is a very mature um depiction of relationships in a way that i feel like most movies don't uh don't approach relationships from and i think that as a as a added consequence of someone like george miller being driven by this story this which is very much about rhapsodic love but also approaching it with the self-assurance and the patience of a filmmaker who you know uh who spent 20 years trying to get a movie made and waited until it was the right moment and then did it and i mean this is a movie this is a a book that he optioned a long time ago right and obviously there is the history of uh, mad max fury road which further reiterates his his understanding that like you know, I just have to wait for my moment. But mm-hmm. what's really interesting to me about this movie as I was watching it is that like you don't even need the magical realism of the story in order right. for it to be meaningful. What it is to me, and this is actually what I what really resonated was that I feel like this is very much a story about how we come into relationships and the history that we have of ourselves the history that the person that we come into the relationship uh, with has, Mm -hmm. and then the relationships that those people have with other people before them. I mean, it's sort of almost like a joke of like the, the, when you, it's like the joke of when you fall in love with this person, you're falling in love with every person that they fell in love with, you know, like Mm -hmm. in the, you know, or something, but it really is very much about like, well, Idris Elba's character is telling her about the, 
the profound love and the profound loss that he has experienced. And he is sharing that with her, a person who, who her experience, her romantic experience is different and boiled down to this sort of academic dispassionate um, arm's length attachment to relationships via storytelling and how the two of them sort of succumb to their romantic essence of themselves and them and them as a couple through the process of you know detailing the history of this of this romantic life that uh, the jinn has experienced it's funny because you know i i'm of two minds where tilda swinton's character i i it feels like there should be like one more go at, at where she's coming from like if there's another piece that i i might like it might have made me appreciate the movie even more as far as where she's coming from, like what what's happened in her past since we get so much of the gin. At the same time, though, there's a scenario that launches the movie into the third act where she simply states something to the gin. And I believed it. I believed in it. I believed in what that meant to both of those characters. And that's exactly what you're talking about as far as a movie like this exploring what a relationship is, for, especially mm-hmm. from a mature standpoint. I will note that I saw this movie with my father. He loved this. He thought it was the best thing he's seen in a while. Um, he, he And I, I think I get why. It's because it's a movie made for adults. <laughs> like It's a movie that's that, you know, it, it, it has, a you know, obviously this fantastical element and visuals and what have you, which is not like if that's not a, you know, allowed for anybody, but certain audiences like, you know, any, you know, do what you want to do. But I, I get where there's a perspective that comes with something like that, even if I'm if I'm not of the age that Miller is at in any number of adults that see a movie like this and have the kind of, you know, decades and decades worth of experience dealing with different kinds of relationships. I, I see what the movie's going for and I appreciate it on that level. And that's why when it gets to its kind of later on segment, which is less about looking in the past and more about how these two people continue to try to connect to each other in different ways. You know, it's one thing to note that the movie takes a drastically different kind of moment, sense of momentum, but I still like that it it took a swing like that to get us, you know, to like what the meaning or what it is, what it's trying to say, which comes down to what these two people mean to each other, these two sure. beings mean to each other. Yeah, and that's kind of what I'm sort of uh, referring to in terms of just uh, the two storylines. Uh, I would have really loved just uh, more discussion of the two of them in the hotel room without not to say, not to say like without all the cinematic luster that that you see on the screen which is also really well shot and beautiful and a lot of it looking fairly practical uh, but when you get to like the nuts and bolts of it all it's kind of just about these two folks like Todd you eloquently put it uh that are just um coming together at this one point in time but have a lot of previous quote unquote baggage right but I, I really dug that that part of the movie of just those two having like this weird like ver- verbal verbal match um mm-hmm. about because she's so well uh knowledgeable about these stories mm-hmm. and it was actually really she's so erudite yeah. yeah yeah and cautious right yeah and uh, it's it's it was really clever to have her be uh sure a vehicle for the audience but also really asking these questions that I think a lot of us would have would have asked because we've all seen the Simpsons Halloween episodes or we've all seen some Hitchcock movie or whatever the case is about wishes and magic and um, anything else. So it was really it was really um, neat for them to have that discussion. And 
you know, when you have uh, the split off into other like historical pieces, that's really well and good. Um, but yeah, I, I would have loved to just like sat there with them, like uh, with having this uh, adult conversation about uh, love and loss. The visuals add to it too, but sometimes the visual segments take a lot longer and then you cut back into the hotel room for a brief moment and then you get back into the, the, the visual storytelling. So that's kind of just what I mean by, by it being a little bit choppy for me. Well, obviously, you know, we, we've taught, we've referenced the fact that these visual segments, but what would you, what'd you guys think of, of them? So like the kind of the look of them, the use of them, where, where are your thoughts on what George Miller is doing and showing us a very stylish period of time? You know, I, I, that was the thing that I, I tried to ask him about because I was very interested. I mean, you know, we live in a particularly cautious time when it comes to depicting, you know, cultural sensitivity. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Cultures that are not necessarily uh, mainstream or, or shown as often as Mm -hmm. whether they should or shouldn't, they aren't. Yeah. There's a very uh, Middle Eastern and Eastern kind of world focus in in the, you know, and and, you know, one of the things that he talked about, and I think, like, I mean, this was, I, there was a, a bit of time that elapsed between when I saw the movie and when I did the George Miller interview, when I did the interview, because, uh, and so my memory of every moment is not quite as vivid from watching the movie as it was from his answer, but he was talking about how it's a combination of, there are some aspects of this where they literally did have, you know, a court um, re- recording a person who was accounting what was actually being said in some of the moments. Mm-hmm. And then there's other things that were, you know, essentially there was no, there was no one there to take an account of what was being said or done. So, so they do have this sort of um, informed magic realism that they were creating while they're also including the idea that, you know, essentially they kind of keep going to the gin and they're like, well, well, you know, we, we had this story and, you know, Handel wrote music about it. And this is what this, this is what happened. And the Jen's like, you know, madam, I was there. And so the idea is that it is the subjectivity of his perspective has this additional sort of magical flair. So you have a, I think they called it a giraffe, which is like a, a giraffe that is, has zebra stripes, you know, or something. And they, Mm -hmm. they throw in some of those things that kind of, in my opinion, the idea is not to exoticize it, um, any more so than than they would otherwise but to create sort of a synergy between like an accurate his- historical depiction and one that is more magical and i think that the movie mm-hmm. actually does that brilliantly in the same way that i think that you know again george miller does with um you know mad max where you're like you know this is such a fully realized world right. that it does feel very believable um, and it's something that is treated seriously and respectfully. Um, and, you know, of course, it, that's not for me to say, if, I guess, if somebody had an objection to it or whatever. But but to me, it, it feels like it's very beautifully rendered in a way, um, again, a lot like The Fall, where it is sort of like it's sort of historically accurate or period accurate. And at the same time, it's also a little bit of magic thrown in there to kind of give it a special a specialness. Yeah, you know, far be it from Miller to be like, well, it's a fairy tale, so I have free reign to do whatever I want to. But I do think you're you're, you're saying it in the way that I agree with, as far as you know, the combination of things he's doing with this story, blending with whatever historical fact he could actually find on certain periods of time. I, I from my perspective, yes, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think there's a a kind of a way of pushing this in a matter of stereotypes and what have you that 
portray a, a certain kind of standard that people can feel lesser positive about than they were when movies that were taking these kind of approaches to ancient times in the past may have been. Mm-hmm. So it's like I, I do think there's a, especially from Miller, someone that's in his other films has been very aware of the position he's put himself in of how to like handle these things with the right. not even necessarily a certain sensitivity, but just a kind of respect uh, for what he's going for. And at the same yeah. time, there are things like a giant bug that explodes into a million spiders and <laughs> King Solomon's wonderful guitar. Um, so, I mean, I appreciate yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah, my summation of it is that, you know, just to piggyback off of what Todd was saying, is is there's not really a wasted stroke in any of these, um, I don't know what you would call them, like flashbacks. Um, so it's a really thoughtful and thought out um, set piece uh, for George Miller. And speaking on that, like the, from a technical aspect, the sound design in this movie is, is terrific. Um, like... There, we talked about like the sea tower piece, but there's also just uh, like you know, added elements of somebody passing out, and then you hear voices and muffling, and the way that sort of uh, other elements fall into place here. Like, it's really, really on a technical level, really, really uh, well done. And unfortunately, again, we don't have like a a a, ca- a category for sound design anymore. It's also just like sound. It's all rolled into sound, one, right? Yeah. Yep. So unfortunate because this um i could see it kind of getting me up for some technical awards well, the, the, the guilds also, like, the guilds still give their awards there you mm-hmm. go yeah. yeah i mean the other thing is also like i don't know how he did any of the set designs i don't know if todd you know either but there was like this really cool shot um where the camera kind of cranes up where there's a story about uh, a woman who just wants all the knowledge in the world i was like this is a really cool shot and i don't know if they just built like the circular room that was like 12 feet tall or something like that um, and then just like use the camera to, to pull out or if it was like um, uh, what you call it visually done um, on a computer but uh, again there's there's really nice neat elements uh, in this movie and again George Miller just seems to have really thought about this for a while uh, uh, with this uh, short story that he adapted yeah, I, I I wish I could give you the answer to that, but that was not something that we discussed. But um, but you know, I think that you know you can't look at um, what I think is the preeminent use of visual effects in a movie right. of the last twenty years in um of practical visual effects in um in Cherry Road and not you know see how deeply uh, and thoughtfully considered all of um his uh his you know filmmaking is and so i think this was probably very similar in that you know where he needed to use um cgi and visual effects i think he did and where he where he could pull it off i don't think he's he's not it's not trying to trick people as much as he is trying to create something as vividly as possible and i think that's actually like also a like a, a very important um thing about his filmmaking that i think is is you know consistent through his work yeah, because yeah. you know, especially with his, you know, the action side of his career, he's very much a story first kind of guy, and however he can accomplish that, he does so. And it's not, you know, it's not a matter of there's a wow factor in terms of what he's pulling off, but it's like you said, like uh, the idea of deceiving you in some ways. Like, you know, I just want to make it, however, is the best way I can make this look effective. I'm going to make it look effective, yeah. and it's interesting matching that against something like The Fall, where Tarzan, like, you know, that's early 2000s at this point. That's him going to over 25 countries to like film these right. like crazy locations and get the pull off these interesting shots and his very, very minimal use of CG that, that 
I, that's not as that's similar, not a scenario of like tricking anyone, but I mean, there's certainly a deliberateness to, I want to like show off the best I can, the world that I'm trying to like visualize with this. And, and, and that movie's I think less about story, but that matter. Like, so this, it, it, watching those two, it's interesting to like to compare right. what these two are going for from a visual standpoint, despite like their commitment to either theme or in this case, story for this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, that in mind as far as the technicals go and the things that go into this i, I also really like the score by um tom holgenberg um who worked with him on fury road as well i, I think he keeps he's been doing more and more uh, uh scoring in films and I, I keep appreciating what he seems to have to offer so i just want to throw that out there as well there you go i have a question yes um it's about tilda swinton's character uh early on we see that she's having i don't know daydreams or visualizations of things even before she encounters the djinn mm-hmm what what do we what do we read into that as far as what what's what's getting into her? Istanbul is a, a historical place. I don't know. I, you know, I I wasn't really sure either. Like I wasn't sure if it was one of those things where it's like you know she's emanating, um, or she's she's the one, and we've got to go make sure that she meets the gin kind of thing. But also, I was like, you know, they they do reference Constantinople Constantinople a lot present day turkey um so i'm just not really sure like what that airport encounter was about nor the uh the figure in her in her um speech lecture lecture yeah yeah, yeah i mean I'm, I'm i'm i don't have any more insights than you guys do um but i you know i i think there is i think again maybe and i, I don't mean this to be some sort of catch-all uh, defense of the movie's choices um, but I do think there is this degree of, of simultaneous like practicality, um, which is the idea of having a person who is as educated and knowledgeable about storytelling, about the the idea of wish fulfillment being as much a warning as it is an opportunity mm. um, and all these things, I, like which is the an extremely intellectualized way of looking at this sort of magical scenario. And then you also have the actual fantasy scenario, which is the djinn who comes and gives her three wishes. And I think the movie's like sort of constant navigation of the the intellectual and the emotional, I think, ends up creating, um, you know, what 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 is, I think he's essentially doing is is sort of slowly infiltrating the sort of magical influence into, you know, what should be a, a person's life that is fully rational and fully analytical and intellectualized. Um, and I think that like a lot of that stuff kind of functions to, you know, suggest that the, you know, at the at the sort of unexpected connections and the unexpected experiences that that do transcend our immediate capacity for reason or you know to to understand um while also you know again sort of trying to function in a in a real in a quote-unquote reality where there is you know we have a like a post-brexit couple and all these other things you know that Mm -hmm. as the film sort of moves towards its third uh, third yeah, people, people wear masks. It takes place in a yeah. post-COVID right. era, COVID era. Right. Um, I mean, on on this subject, I uh, as far as my thoughts on where this is going with Tilda Swinton with without with Alethea, it does make me wonder if there's you know an element of fate involved. And then I think, okay, so is is there? And I'm curious if you guys have any of this in mind as well. Like, is there a 
a religious bent to this film or is it just the universe working in its own mysterious ways like i'm sure there's ways to read into this from any number of viewers but i'm just curious if any if you if you took that in any 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 capacity no not so much i mean perhaps thinking about it uh, toward the end of the movie yes because there's elements uh this is going to your fate question or your fate your fate um yeah. observation but you know there there's certainly elements of mannerisms that Althea has that are also portrayed by other characters in this movie uh, in the past mm-hmm. uh but then also she just outright says it you know she outright says it to to the gin of just you and I were meant to be and therefore I, I will accept your love kind of thing and it's like, it like a really profound moment just again this goes back to what you guys are both talking about about this being um, uh, sort of like a mature take on a mature movie for one but also a mature take on just uh, uh, love so but I don't know the fate thing that's a good observation so we're, you know we're talking about the nature of Alethea is <clears throat> her 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 position in life and what she's saying and even what the movie's doing as far as telling us things through through story and i, I wonder i just you know, propose this question out there i mean they they mentioned in this lecture that she had her her you know her partner in uh, istanbul uh, having this lecture about um you know the idea of how myths and legends and what have you used to be the the source of of news and the way we'd get inspiration and what have you and today in today's society, comic books and comic book movies, that, that tends yeah. to be more of the way to have people, to, at least certain ages of people, maybe older than intended in some forms, justify where they get their ideas and inspiration and themes from. And I, I, I'm curious what you think about that. If, if Miller himself is trying to say something uh, in that as well, as far as having a djinn go back and show you this this time and what he took away from these experiences and versus what we see today i mean i mean i would just say you know i think that um it's i think that miller understands all too well he one of the stories that he told in the interview that we did um he mentioned that you know when he saw when he made mad max he said that he saw it as the australian uh, wilderness you know the outback Mm -hmm. and he did not think of it in any other way than as Australia. And what he learned was that in Japan, um, you know, Mad Max is like a, he's like a a lone samurai. You know, Mm -hmm. he was like everywhere he went, there were people who had taken, um, you know, it's like, you know, that it was, it was, he was, it was taken as a Western in other countries. It was taken as, you know, sort of each of the, the cultures that absorbed the story that he made that he thought was very, um, geographically and culturally specific ended up being something that people would apply their own um, mythology to and their own storytelling traditions to. And, you know, I think that um, it's, you know, it's interesting that we, of course, we spend all uh, spend a lot of time, a lot of people spend a lot of time looking at comic book movies. Um, I think uh, so maybe somewhat sometimes fairly reductively as like, you know, just sort of this constant uh, regurgitating of, of like these existing stories, but mm-hmm. you know what they also are doing. I mean, like we, you know, you can look at the, the, the primitivism of the sort of the, the heroes that were the ones that were sort of the first ones that, that, that came out that we fell in love with. If it's Superman, if it's Hulk, if it's whatever. Mm-hmm. And these are things that do have, origins at least even loosely in you know ancient um storytelling traditions i mean like whether or not they're manifest in the exact way that 
you know, Bruce Banner got gamma radiation, there are, you know, parables and warnings about, right. um, you know, about rage, about these things. And I think that um, I, I don't know that George Miller is trying to make an active commentary about superhero movies or comic books themselves, but he's more talking about how we tend I think as, as a culture, like as a global culture to take our own myths, to create our own myths, to explain and process the world around us. And, and, you know, I mean, and how, certainly how capitalism and, and, and economics um, affects that changes the, the format and, and, and things like that. But I think right. this movie very much is about, um, you know, how storytelling functions, not just to translate between disparate cultures, but like, you know, between disparate generations, to, you know, and, and, right. and how in spite of the, the specificities that one culture might bring to something, how those things can take on a life of their own and really become like meaningful in another culture because they're adopted in their own, um, if not like explicit language, then in their sort of culture, their own cultural language. Like, you yeah. know, again, like the idea of a samurai in Japan for Mad Max. Right. I think superficially uh, uh, and jokingly, George Miller's just like movies are important. The arts are important. Uh, but I think on a deeper level, sort of uh, taking an academic approach to it, storytelling is important. And I think the sort of lesson that I sort of take away from this is that, yeah, similar to what Todd was mentioning, stories just keep. Um, they keep showing them up in your lives in different ways. So it's important to keep reading, but also not just keep reading um, and understanding and, and sort of being hooked on these things, but it's important to read other people's stories. You know, I, I dig that this movie sort of takes place in Istanbul um, and there's a, a very strong presence in the movie. Um, but beyond that, you know, we also have, what you guys discussed just previously, um, this modern day London setting where there's there's xenophobia present, right? Um, and while she, our our protagonist Alfie, is not a part of that, you know, her neighbors sort of are in like this this old uh, mindset kind of thing. But I, I uh, even the movie itself, it has this really um, fairly like uh, heartfelt scene where the only thing that can get through this guy who has been to war for such a long time is the storyteller. Um, and that was really uh, a, a profound sequence. Uh, so I, I do think that perhaps Miller's not like directly outright telling us like, Hey man, like movies are the best, but I, I dig that. He's just like storytelling is important. Um, wh whatever form it comes in, um, it helps spur the imagination, but also in reality, it probably just helps lock in, some history you mentioned the the bit with the kind of xenophobic neighbors and, and i'm curious if this movie does incorporate this kind of late stage social commentary did, did you did that like click for you guys were you like the idea of like by the way also this like was that a fine like addition to the story already being told yeah i mean you guys sort of mentioned that it kind of just goes into present day slash like uh modern times in the third act uh, as well so yeah uh, i didn't really find it out of place um, and then she also makes peace with it too, right? So it, it was kind of comes full circle. Well, before we wrap up this review, I'm just curious because we've already talked references a few times. The fact that the movie just did very poorly um, this week, <laughs> not that I necessarily expected it to, you know, do Gonzo box office numbers. It's a weird story with stars that don't draw in people. Yeah. Um, but it, it is there something that could be done to not just for this movie, but like in terms of like you know original adult 
stories like is there something to be done to lure audiences into theaters to see movies like this like is there like is there a better way to advertise something like this movie to be like you got to see this in a theater is there what are we you missing? know i mean I mean, I think the, the the easy joke here is is uh, to advertise, um, uh-huh. but but you know, but I I do think that you know, the problem is with this is the same thing that was a problem with the fall, which is where it's it's this is a story that's kind of neither fish nor fowl to some extent. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, do you, I mean you can say it's a contemporary drama about a woman who's in a room and meets this person. I'm like, and it's also a series of vignettes about different romances throughout antiquity. Um, mm-hmm. Those things are all true, and yet they don't, neither of them individually encapsulates the story of this film. Um, and so it's a tough, you know, it's it's one of those things that's like a tough, a, a, a tough um, win for, for George Miller. And so I think where he won is in making the movie that he wanted to. I mean, it feels very much very true to him and very much like you know i i don't think you can like watch this movie and look at it and see that it feels compromised in any way um and i think that you know i i think there is room i mean i think you know whether or not we think that where the crawdads sing is an adult uh drama or adult film um which i did like that movie i'm not i'm not denigrating it but but like whether or not we think that kind of like beach read you know melodrama is is an equivalent sort of film i mean that is a movie that has seemed to chug along sort of semi-quietly based not the least of which of course on the recognition of the source material but also just on telling a good story and i think this is a story that's very difficult to condensed to a digestible idea that people will pick up on you know and it's like when you look at the trailer like i mean as i wrote about it five or six times this week and i had to put the trailer in every article i wrote and it's like the beginning of that trailer is like well it's sort of like it it, it's got this vroom vroom like mad max fury road thing that's going on in the trailer and i'm like but that's not really what this movie is at all and so i'm like so is it a good idea to like sort of leverage that even to sell this movie when really what it is and and i say this also with with all due respect to two actors that i love i was like tilda swinton and idris elba um in the context of this movie are not people where you're like holy shit man i wasn't going to see this movie but now that tilda swinton and idris elba are in it, then that is means my they're getting my money you know it's <laughs> just it's like it's it's one of those things where they made the right choices for the film, but they didn't make the right choices to sell the film. I guess if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally am on board with that too because I I think in large part, I think the trailer does this movie sort of like a disservice. I think it it sort of is selling it as a a, a weird, wacky, fantastical story, and you probably needed a trailer more like Empire of the Light, where it just has uh or Empire of Light, where it just has um you know like slow methodical music playing with like people saying like academy uh, award nominee tilda swinton or academy award winner tilda swinton kind of thing um i did have a larger or a, an older audience uh so i guess maybe that that got through but there was one couple that was youngish that did leave like halfway through the movie um which is unfortunate because again i think that there was just a poor display of of sort of explaining what this movie could be and I think Todd, you're totally hitting it on the head, which is like it's it's kind of probably hard to categorize this um, and say we should go out with this tactic. I don't disagree as far as what the trailer's trying to sell versus what it 
you know actually is at the same time it's like well the trailer is designed to pe- bring people into the theater to begin with and sure. if people people didn't go they don't even they don't even know that it isn't the movie that it's being represented in the trailer to begin with so i mean it, the i guess i wonder just like where the where the interest lies and in that you know i mean i know my own answer on this question is like people just don't go to see this kind of thing in a theater anymore which is a shame you can look at where the crawdad sings and i get that as far as book club movie rep, you know referenced as, as far as in various social circles when it comes to you know a female audience that's you know driving that box office that makes sense to me i can see that tart you know especially when it's one in a crowd of you know non-dramatic stories focused on female characters you get one of those and it's like yeah here's something that quote unquote i can see as far as like you know a woman that wants to see a movie that's just more relatable or at least something different than what you get during the summer this i don't i don't know what that draw is beyond there's going to be crazy visuals that gets me into a theater that gets you know certain people into theater but i guess i mean this for this movie specifically i i don't know what the better way to sell this is that would be like i definitely have to you know take myself into a theater to watch it yeah uh, by the way, did they have MGM in the trailers? Because I think yeah. that was something that okay. Because I, I was surprised to see that logo come up at the beginning. This so I was like, oh, uh, it's not an MGM they movie. Didn't, they didn't put a, enough money behind this. If I had to speculate, I, I you know it. It's less about this movie. You know, if they made money, great, that's great for them. Mm-hmm. But I think it's more of, you know, we have to qualify for awards or what have you which means they have to have a theatrical run and it, i mean yeah. it is a still it's a 60 million dollar movie with idris elba until the swing you don't not try to sell that at all but right they can't just like plop it onto amazon and then be you know call it a day it makes sense to put it into a theater to in today's market <laughs> yeah i think the biggest thing though is like this movie's had a trailer out since like june um it was at you know it was a, a August thirty first movie for the longest time. It switched up to the twenty sixth, very last minute. A lot of people just didn't even know this coming out. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that not know at all. And it's I don't I don't I don't know what the strategy was as far as not telling people there's a new movie <laughs> coming out this week. But yeah. it is what it is. Uh, okay, well we talked a lot about the three thousand years of longing. When should people go and see this movie, Todd? Uh, I definitely think they should see it in the theater. I, I'm very, I like, I haven't yet made time uh, to do to take Julie to see it, but um, you know, watching the reactions actually this weekend of people who did go see it and they were so excited, I was like, this is a movie that I think really benefits from being on the big screen. And I, and you know, I, the fact that I was able to do that myself was was really uh, a, a a thrill. And I I definitely recommend people go out and see see it as soon as as soon as possible. Abe, did, did George Miller come out on screen and be like, he thank did. you? For, yeah, okay, he did. At, yeah, uh, at and um, yeah. he had like his glasses on. It was really it was really sweet. Yeah, uh, he said in there was one of the founding members of Steampunk. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I mean, you know, he he and Tom Cruise probably were shooting side by side um, with each other, just thanking us for coming to the movies. Um, to me, this is a dollar theater. Not to say that uh, I, I did have more, a little bit more issue than you guys, but... Like what Todd was saying, like the the visuals here are really really well done, and also again I, I mentioned the sound design, so it's worth it to go check it out in a theater. Yeah, I'm big on this one for a theater as well. I I do think it it you know George Miller thanked me for going to the movie theater to watch this movie, and I appreciate that because I did want to see it on a big <laughs> screen, and I was very happy with my experience. <laughs> like it it delivers an interesting tale. There you go. Um, if I may, um, I also wanted just to recommend, um, you know, and this was something that sort of reaffirmed not only that I like the movie, but sort of, I think this, my certainty about Miller's approach to this is that he made a film called um, 40,000 Years of Dreaming. Uh-huh. Um, 
1997, and it is a BFI documentary that is about, it's just over an hour. You can find it on um, YouTube, and mm-hmm. but it is a documentary that's basically an overview of Australian cinema. And, oh. you know, it goes up there for me. Uh, it ranks up there along like Z Channel as one of those documentaries where you just can't, scribble fast enough like the movies you want to watch as a result of them highlighting them in these brief fashion Mm -hmm. but he talks about cinema as this place for a collective dream of the audience and all these things that i absolutely think play very directly into um uh, you know what this film is um and i don't think that like that was a training uh, a trial run for this or anything else i just think it was literally a situation where he like made a thing because they i think they and martin scorsese did one for them i think other people had done similar ones but it's um i I definitely recommend that people look it up because it is uh, again it's not super long but it's a really great great documentary that that i think highlights um australian cinema but it also speaks to exactly how impassioned um uh george miller is about telling stories and the importance of storytelling well, Todd, doc- you know that my genre of choice is documentary, so I'll be checking that out. Yeah. The doc is called? Uh, 40,000 Years of Dreaming. Okay. I think that's what it's called. 40,000. Be okay. It yeah. could be called Lorenzo's Oil. I'm not sure. Um, I'm not. <laughs> uh, it is called 40,000 Years of Dreaming. Yes, yeah. There you go. Hey, you know what's great? Lorenzo's Oil. This is a good movie. <laughs> yeah. Not too bad. Not too bad. Nick Nolte yeah. crushing it, even though that accent. Fake hands? No. No, he's got hands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we talked a lot about the 3,000 Years of Longing, which is currently playing in theaters. Catch it while you can, I would say. <laughs> um, all right. So with that out of the way, let's move on now. Uh, let's do – hey, what, uh, what time is it over here? It is time for a quick game. Little known fact, that's actually the sound that plays when Idris Elba shows up at your doorstep. Yeah, as Luther specifically, though. Lufa. Yeah, yeah, L-U-F-A. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right, I have a game for you guys this week. Mm-hmm. It is called Your Wish is My Command. Uh-oh. I'm going to read you, that's right, taglines from movies uh, where the theme is movies about wishes and wish-making. Okay. So if you think you know the movie based on Wishmaster, Todd, Wishmaster, Todd, Wishmaster. If you think you know the movie based on the tagline that I read, shout out your name, which you just did. Todd is a good example. And the answer. <laughs> here's the first one. Okay. A new era of wonder begins. Abe. Abe. Aladdin. Incorrect. What? <laughs> A new era of wonder begins. Mm. I don't know. I thought this was the easy one. <laughs> okay. Um, if Todd doesn't guess again, I'm going to guess again. Abe? Uh, I just want to say it. Kazam. Okay, so it's Wonder Woman 1984. Okay. All right. I get that point. I guess there were wishes in that. It's it's all about wishes. <laughs> I thought highlighting wonder when I pronounced it both times would help. To... <laughs> Here's the next one. I've got two taglines here. I'll read the first one. Three extraordinary talents take you to a world of fantasy and adventure. The, and the world of blank. Ooh. Here's the other tagline. Amazing tale of never-ending fantasy. Amazing tale. Why are you emphasizing fantasy. amazing? <laughs> no. 
Amazing Tale. Amazing Tale uh, of Never Ending Fantasy. Amazing Tale. T A L E. <laughs> yes. Okay. Just trying to roll out five all here. It's not some mouse based <laughs> movie. <laughs> it's uh it's not mazes and monsters, is it? Incorrect. Um, eight, three. Well, the then one? take that point. Take that point off of him. Because <laughs> I said I said it's not that. You know, unfortunately, so, oh, you yeah. don't you don't lose points in this game. So you're lucky. There. The first tagline was. Well, he should lose points. That's what the, the the first tagline was three extraordinary talents take you to a world of fantasy adventure. The an adventure. The world of blank. It literally says the world of blank. No, I'm just oh, not okay. You're saying the title something. of the movie. Okay, <laughs> yes. got it. Which is an amazing. Tale of an Oh man, I'm 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 gonna am I gonna punch myself in the face when I hear okay, this answer? So the answer is labyrinth. Oh uh, yeah. Okay. I, like I literally almost was gonna say that right when you uh <laughs> so was I Todd. There <laughs> I'll take well, that away from the both point of is what I'm saying. <laughs> Here's the next one. Okay. I'm I'm two for two so far. Uh it is not what is on the outside, but what is inside that counts. Outside That's weirdly vague. Side. Yeah. I'm going to read the other tagline. Okay. <laughs> a diamond in the rough. Abe. Abe. Aladdin. Aladdin is the correct Yes! Abe's on the board. Here's the next one. For some, 13 feels like it was just yesterday. For Jenna, it was. <laughs> uh, I got it. It's yeah. uh, 13 going on 30. I gets the point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's cool that they use like the character's name in the tagline. It is fun when you. It's always fun when you get a character before you like meet them. Yeah, you know, like on a tag or like. Who's Jenna? It, <laughs> <laughs> it's fun on like a movie poster when it's like and you know and Joe Pantoliano as Mickey Fitz. Like, oh, who's this Mickey Fitz? I'm gonna learn about later on in the movie. <laughs> like, all right, next one. Don't say bad word about Mickey Fitz. <laughs> Here, here's the tagline. Trust me. Trust me. Mm. Uh, Abe. Abe. Aladdin 2, The Return of Jafar. In, way off. Just, mm, I should okay. take a point away from that. <laughs> Here's the other tagline. Coming soon. Honest. Trust me. Honest. I thought this was an easy one. This is just right on the poster. Trust me. Uh, I'm, I'm sending all oh. my universal powers to you, Todd. Why wouldn't you trust somebody? Maybe ask yourself that question. Uh, okay, I know. Uh, is it Leprechaun? <laughs> What's that Leprechaun? Is it well, that's a person I wouldn't trust. I mean, what do you, what do you, the answer is liar, 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 liar. liar. Mm, okay, trust me. That's a good one. Uh, this game is surprisingly harder than I thought it would yeah. be. Yeah, I think you're just making things up now. I don't think these are even real movies. <laughs> you don't remember the liar, liar poster? It says in huge words, trust me. Then, like, Jim Carrey's like giving his arms all out. <laughs> okay, here's the next one. Scrooge McDuck's first full-length animated feature film. If I knew the answer, I would say it, but I don't know the answer. Uh, come on, man. I don't know. <laughs> DuckTales <laughs> the movie, colon, Treasure of the Lost Lamp. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. I have four. Pretty good. <laughs> Pretty good. Pretty good for a game that you made. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good job, buddy. <laughs> Here's the next one. Remember when buddies were buddies girls were a mystery and you couldn't wait to grow up abe abe big it is big yes 
It was either that or Stand By Me, but I went with Big. All those wishes and Stand By Me. Yeah. Here's the next one. Don't make a sound. Don't make a move. And above all else, don't make a wish. Is this Wishmaster? Yes, it's Wishmaster, Todd. Mm. It's a good one, Todd. <laughs> I knew I'd get it eventually. You're wanna... not supposed to make a sound because he can hear you and kill you that way? Yes. Mm. Do, you, do you want to guess what the other tagline for the film was? It's a very obvious one. Your desire? It's, it's, it's you're a wish bastard. That's what it's called. <laughs> wish. Make a wish. No, think okay. about like a nefarious thing to say when it comes to wish-based movies. Your wish is my command. What is that nefarious? Well, it could be. <laughs> be careful what you wish for. Mm, I, I, you know, okay. <laughs> I'm feeling like Todd now. Okay. <laughs> Here's the next. One. <laughs> three more. Okay. Meet the devil. She's giving Elliot seven wishes, but not a chance in hell. Elliot? Another name. I know. Uh, Abe? Abe. Oh, no. Now I lost it. Bedazzled? <laughs> it is bedazzled. Okay. You got it. Yeah. yeah. We're going to see Brendan Fraser coming up again soon. Soon enough. Here's the next one. He's a rapping genie with an attitude, and he's ready for a slam dunk fun. Come on, Todd. I got it, baby. It's, um, I believe it's uh, the Mandela effect. Um, uh, is it Kazam? It is Kazam. Yeah. Well, this I is thought... good. This is good because you guys are tied. There you go. And Wait, don't I have one... three of them? Yeah, both of you have three of them. I have oh, four, okay. so I'm going to win regardless. But there's one more, so you can right, tie with Todd. me. For Here the we win. go. Here's the last one. A boy who needs a friend finds a world that needs a hero in a land beyond imagination. Hmm. Boyfriend imagination? Yes, boyfriend imagination. With a wish? A boy who needs a friend uh-huh. finds a world that needs a hero in a land beyond imagination. Abe. Abe? The never-ending story. It is the never-ending story, Abe. You got that one. You can't see it, but I'm I'm punching the air like Bastion running Falcor. <laughs> With the music is playing in my head right now, the never ending story theme. Well, this was an incredibly tight game. Very yeah, tight. Yeah, just like Todd said it was tight. Just like Colin Firth said to Rod. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Full circle, <That's> right. baby. <laughs> but hey, I mean, were... I can tell you that Limal sang the song The Never Ending Story, um, which was <laughs> I think that puts us in a three-way tie don't <laughs> you'd be surprised how many i held back on thinking they would be too hard for this game <laughs> but abe you did emerge victorious this week so good job thank you yeah, yeah. good game thanks All uh, right. uh gg <laughs> that's uh he's so disappointed about the out now podcast game <laughs> let's move on let's get some out now feedback 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 this is where we go over the various questions and answers on our Facebook page, facebook.com.podcast. We asked a number of questions to the listeners. They gave us some answers, then they gave us some questions as well. First question here is, what's your favorite Tilda Swinton performance? Chris has, we need to talk about Kevin and Snowpiercer. Philip has, only lovers left alive. Gary has, Orlando. And Justin writes, Burn After Reading, Grand Budapest Hotel, and a movie I've been trying to get on Blu-ray, The Beach. So what's your favorite Tilda Swinton movie? Um... I love um, this. I love this is love. God damn! Why can't I remember the name of the movie? Um, this is love, uh, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, no, I, yeah. I am love. I am love. Right? I am love. That's right. that's exactly well, why from, my brain was. Guadagnino. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, that movie, I mean, there are many performances. I mean, like, I don't even like um, Constantine as a movie, but I think as the archangel in that movie, she's like incredible. You know, I mean, there's yeah. so many performances like that where she's really good. But but I am loved to me. It feels it's like the most as a person who loves the movie, the leopard, it feels like this like sensual reimagining of the leopard while also being this extremely contemporary story. It's, it's so good. And, um, and I think she's incredible in it. Hmm. Only lovers, only lovers left. Clearly I love it so much. I can't even remember the title, but (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to throw in, um, uh, what was the one that Wes Anderson just made where she's just lecturing people again, but drinking heavily. Oh, the French, French, French dispatch. French dispatch. Yeah. Yeah. And she's great in that. She's yeah, great. Yeah. yeah, she's having a ball just drinking underneath the uh the the the, the days. Yeah. I mean, you know, she's great in Michael Clayton. I mean, she's yeah. you know, I mean, there's like yeah. lots of stuff that she's been really really good at. What did she win the the Oscar for? Michael Clayton. My that name. was for Michael Clayton. And yeah. It was like a surprise win, too. It was like, yeah. what? She, she looked very shocked when she won. Yeah, we were all shocked. Mm. <laughs> um, let's see. Next question here. What are your favorite movies about characters being granted wishes? Uh, Chris writes Tiger's Not Afraid and The Monkey's Paw. Christopher writes Miracle on 34th Street and Aladdin, the animated Aladdin. Uh, Michael writes Wishmaster. Scott has Big, Pleasantville, and It's a Wonderful Life. Philip writes It's a Wonderful Life. And Justin adds Big, Aladdin, Liar, Liar, 13 going on 30, and 17 again. Mm. 17 again? Wow. Um, It's a good movie. Uh, I will add in a click with Adam Sandler. There you go. You're adding that in as a good example. I was gonna say <laughs> it's got um, it's got a good Christopher Walken performance. Does it? Not really. <laughs> he's, he's, all he says is like, "Don't go in the beyond." He certainly shows up. The beyond. He's there, he's I think Abe Abe said it best. Uh, does it? Um, <laughs> um, but I I will say I. Um, you know, it's interesting because I guess It's a Wonderful Life is a movie about people m- making wishes, but yeah. it's but also it's not in a way. I don't know. Like it's a but it's a. I mean, don't get me wrong. That's one of my favorite movies. Um, so I wish I could have I, twenty minutes devoted to seeing an alternate version of my life, so I could realize what's actually going on. Yeah, yeah. It happens yeah. a lot in movies. Well, those you very know, specific kind family of man. Mm-hmm. Even they even wish that it just kind of happens to him. Right? He just kind of he's got to wakes up. Is like. <laughs> I guess this is going on. Don, Don Cheadle's just like, I'll just make the wish for you. Remember me, bro? <laughs> you can't keep doing this. Um, um, all right. Uh, well, I'm, su- question- I'm surprised oh, you didn't ahead. say Wishmaster, Todd. I mean, that's, that's I figured out you're going Well, to that is my favorite movie of but all he, time. He got it uh, in but, the game. But, but yeah. Wh- well, which I'll one? The, I, for the I, first I, one or the fourth one? There's a lot of Wishmasters. <laughs> I mean, the fourth one is really the one where I feel like they bring the mythology all together. But um, it comes around, yeah. But um, I, I do yeah, I love the never-ending story. I think that's yeah. Um, it, that movie holds up remarkably well, honestly. Yeah, the rewatchability factor is very high. For Every time ending. I eat it, what's yeah for never-ending. Story. I haven't watched it in a while at this point, and I I, I didn't get out again. I didn't grow up with it, so it's not one where I'm like, I'm not a, I'm not anti it or anything. I just don't have yeah. like a, a you know something in my mind that says like this is a staple for me. So I, I'm mm-hmm. curious if I want. I do watch it again if it like hits me in the right kind of way well next time you watch it watch it with a sandwich and then as you're eating your sandwich stop yourself and say not too much that's what bastion says okay movie. yeah <laughs> the next question here is what are some great films about characters in prison against their will chris has the cube 
Martyrs. Philip has The Count of Monte Cristo. Gary has A Man Escaped. And Justin writes The Matrix, The Empire Strikes Back, and Life. Well, there'd be a fun fun marathon. The Matrix, Empire Strikes Back, and Life. (laughs) Uh, Characters in prison against their will. Um, Uh, Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny because, like, I... You know, how many people are in prison willfully, quite frankly? Um, it's, a good, it's a good point. You know, but but also, like, I don't know, I I, I would say that the Matrix is, you're kind of stretching to say that, because it's not like they're putting these, they're, they're, the, the, the programs are not coming to put uh, Neo in jail. They're coming to erase his mind and plug him people, into the There's system. all those people that are already in the Matrix that didn't have a choice, Todd. But then that brings up the question of are they even against imprisoned against their will if they never knew that they were actually alive? That's that's exactly right. It was getting yeah. deep. Yeah. Um, uh, well, I would you, say you, you I, talk I will... to Cypher, aka Mickey Fitz, about that one. <laughs> when I wake Listen, up, I don't want to remember any of this, okay? I want to stay. What did I say? What did I say about Mickey Fitz? Don't make do fun of Mickey not, Fitz. Do not say one bad I, word. I assume that's I will, the I want to, I want to, I want to posit. An opposite, which is what is a good movie about a person who wants to be in prison? And the answer is Bronson. That's a movie. Bronson a is a great, movie. it's a fantastic movie. My favorite Tom Hardy performance. And I would also, uh, yeah. I like what you did here as a guest. You just like, I want to make a question for you guys on the spot. You, <laughs> sir, have a learned, earned platinum elite status. Yeah. But Todd forgot about a little movie called Escape Plan with Stallone and Schwarzenegger, where he goes in willingly to prisons to break out of them. So. <laughs> I willfully, I, 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 I literally men and blacked myself so I wouldn't think of an escape plan. Well, here we are with the giant toilet bringing you back. Um, and the, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure, like, I'm pretty sure uh, John J. Joker wanted to get prison the whole time for the Dark Knights. So. Characters in prison against their will. Uh, Michael Myers in uh, the first Halloween remake, 2018. It seemed like he just kind of stood there and let the police arrest him. I don't know. I mean, he doesn't look there. like he's having a good time. I mean, <laughs> as opposed to like killing teenagers. If he didn't want to get out of, if he didn't want to be in prison, he wouldn't have given himself in so quickly. That yeah, that podcaster <laughs> shouldn't have shouldn't have tempted him with that mask. That podcast podcasters are just the bane of existence. I mean, they just yeah. ruin everything. I mean, when it comes to movies. Yes, apparently, <laughs> podcasters they're not tight. Dash you know Tom great? Gilchrist. <laughs> movies, that just, movies that just say podcaster and that's supposed to be the joke. And they, and I know. That's, that's the, and that's is that what he's credited as, as in the movie? No, they get credit. Uh, oh, they um, do. Okay. Yeah, because his name is Aaron. It's a very good name. Um, <laughs> but, but I mean, in, general, in like comedies today where they're just like, yeah, podcast. And that's like the whole joke. It's like, oh, so no. we just didn't write anything. We just wrote that as a not even a placeholder. Just that's the joke. Yeah. <laughs> Um, next question here. Who are your favorite oddball directors? Those that are willing to just insert random weird things into their movies. Scott mm-hmm. writes David Lynch and David Cronenberg, the Daves. Uh, Chris has Takashi Miyake and Wes Anderson, and Justin has Tarantino. Your favorite like oddball <laughs> directors? Uh, I mean, this feels kind of like a, a like an insult, or 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 it's for the filmmaker, or it sounds like something from somebody who doesn't understand the filmmaker, but um. But I think that because, like, I think David Lynch is a surrealist. You so just don't get it, do you? That's true. <laughs> um, I mean, I think there are. 
lots of things. Mean, I, I don't know. I don't know how to answer this question without okay, fine, that, so. <laughs> like stressing yourself out. Over this. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, I think like Tim Burton to be like, yeah, I'm a weird guy, whatever. Like, I think he'd really object to that. <laughs> I mean, he, he starts off a movie with uh, a tour de France that does not anything like the tour de France. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's the biggest problem with Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Yeah, it's Tour de France. It's, is just, not, it's just, just not accurate, guys. My issue's always been there is a basement in the Alamo. I don't know what they're talking about, but yeah, that's me. <laughs> I like when he wakes up from passing on. They're like, "What do you remember?" He's like, "I remember the Alamo," and they just like start hooping and hollering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good joke. It is a good. It's a great joke. Yeah, we still remember today. Uh, I want to add in. Mm-hmm. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say Jim Jarmusch is my guy for this. Jim Jarmusch, yeah. I was going to say Charlie Kaufman. He adds in, like, uh, hilarious things from time to time, and you're just like, this is a serious movie, right? And you're like, it it is, but also he's a weird guy. We should end with people in makeup singing Oklahoma. Yeah, (laughs) I think about that all the time. I'm like, that's a a really effective way to end a movie and just make me feel sad. It's like, you know, there was that period when I think of anything's came out where I was like, I'm just watching this a lot now. <laughs> and uh, um, It's been a minute since I watched it since. But there was that period where I was like, I can't really get out of this, <laughs> this frame of mind with this movie. Yeah. Uh, the next question here is, what are some great unlikely love stories in cinema? Gary writes Portrait of Je- Jenny. Uh, Scott has Harold and Maude. Uh, Chris has her. Uh, and Justin has Wally, Edward Scissorhands and Garden State. Unlikely love stories. Garden State is an unlikely love story. You would have never guessed that Zach Braff <laughs> and Natalie Portman were going to get together in that movie. I mean, were you going to guess that they were going to listen to the Smiths? No. Um, <laughs> unlikely love stories in cinema. I mean, aren't they all? This goes to Todd's question. Aren't they all unlikely love stories in cinema? Well, usually they're about that love story, so they seem pretty damn likely to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I think if you want to talk about, like, unconventional romances, I certainly think there's probably some examples throughout film history. But I think, like, I, it, it's it's really hard in 2022 to, like, look at um, an opposite to track story and not be like, well, yeah, that's that's the whole point of all these things. Because I could say, like, you've got mail, uh, the unlikeliest love story that that, you know, this small bookshop owner would fall in love with a man who was a developer of a of uh, the Brentanos franchise or whatever the hell it was in that movie. <laughs> Brentanos. I don't think that even so good, does it? <laughs> Why didn't we have a game around that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the key there was that you had, you know, he might have been the major manager of a conglomerate that has coffee shops and impersonal book selling agencies <laughs> all over but he's still played by tom hanks who's just a regular guy with his regular friend dave Chappelle, is hanging out being cool guys <laughs> being down to earth being relatable it's like how do you how do you pass that up makes sense to me yeah. steve's on still not convinced though but at least i made you guys laugh that really was worth it to me you know <laughs> like i always try to work you know every time i appear on you guys podcast i always try to work in a brentano's reference because i feel oh. like that's something that's <laughs> Todd. uh yeah this is uh you know who their rival is mickey fitz he owns the company <laughs> <laughs> the rival company <laughs> If you say his name one more time, Todd shows up at your doorstep. <laughs> you got to be very careful, Aaron. You've already gotten two. All right. <laughs> Who are some great movie characters? 
<laughs> trying to read this straight. <laughs> I'm thinking about Prince Thomas. Who are some great movie characters that have been cursed with special powers? Oh. Scott writes Hancock. Chris writes the one, the only, Blade. Philip has John Coffey in the Green Mile. And Brian White, friend of the show, writes The Samaritan. Hmm. Who are some great movie characters that have been cursed with special powers? Cursed with special powers. Great movie characters. Yeah. Hmm. Christopher Walken and Click, I guess. Is that? Yeah, I mean, he's got that remote. Yeah. yeah. I'm burdened with this remote <laughs> control. <laughs> it's pretty good walking. It's, I have, I, I, midway into that, I'm like, I guess I'm trying to do this now. <laughs> I didn't start trying to do it. Uh, every character's cursed with such a powers. Um, you know, uh, Dar- Thanos. Dark Thanos? Okay. Yeah, because he directly says, like, you're not the only one cursed with knowledge. All right. Thanks a lot. Smart guy. Dark man. Dark man. Yeah. He's pretty upset when he's trying to win Elizabeth Shoe, that, that prize bunny or whatever. Francis Bacon. Elizabeth Shoe. Oh, what Francis, kind of world my, are you living in? <laughs> oh. This is an adventure in babysitting Dark Man. Sheesh. Would watch. Tied any characters <laughs> cursed with special powers you're a fan of? Uh, say Chucky. <laughs> I don't... You know, I like The Godfather. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Michael Super. Corleone, he's cursed with more knowledge than his brothers. Um, so that's... Yeah, that's pretty tough. You know, Son, that's Sonny's curse. cursed of rage. Yeah. yeah. And Fredo was passed over, Mike. I'm smart. <laughs> I got ideas. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, I, you know, I don't know. Um, you know, I um can't think of anything off the top of my head that's like really. I'm, I'm sure that like as soon as I get off this call, I'm I'll be like, oh yeah, this movie that's my favorite movie of all time. Yeah. Um, you know, but I, I right now I can't think of anything. Well, feel free okay. to shout it out when you come up with something. Yeah. I will. It, it, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna shout Brentanos and then you know. <laughs> come, you, and that's the magic word. Uh, <laughs> the next question here is: I need some great modern fairy tale, cinematic fairy tales. Uh, Gary has Pants Lambreth. Robert has Curse of the Cat People, The Night of the Hunter, and Chris has The Company of Wolves. Great modern day fairy tale, cinematic fairy tales. I mean, guess well, I'm not sure that I'm. Not, I, I will say I'm not sure that Night of the Hunter is a modern fairy tale. I mean, um, but uh, but I, it's a great movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think The Fall is a good example. Because that movie is very much, uh, in my opinion, like, uh, you know, it's like a weaving of truth and and imagination. I think, and I, and I think you could look at, um, I think that the, I think that Babe, both Babe movies are good fairy tales. Yeah. yeah. Um, even to some extent, I feel like um, Mad Max Fury Road is a fairy tale. Hmm. I can see that. I mean, it's got. I mean, like literally, you have, you know. Uh, four what are five damsels in distress um yep. you know who were being rescued et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. you know i mean they are not things yeah i mean like del toro's filmography seems to like line up with this in oh, general yeah, um, yeah. i, I mean why. you mentioned edward scissorhands i think that fits yeah. absolutely oh it's a good score What's next for you, Abe? Uh, click or um, Jack uh, of the Slayer? <laughs> no, uh, modern um, day fairy tales? Come on, it's got to be. Um, I can't think of something off the top of my head. It's got. It's got to be uh, Hairspray. John Travolta just 
you know, if I'm wearing drag. Trying to think of another one. Just going to leave me there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're going to like pull off a walking impression again or something. Or that <laughs> can't do a walking impression. I can't do the that's, the. that's the one where you stop. <laughs> you're like, I can't be walking. <laughs> I mean, this is kind of like a, a piggyback kind of answer, but uh, but Wild at Heart, I think, is, is a fairy tale. Oh, yeah. I mean, okay. it's very much inspired by Wizard of Oz, you know, um, which is which is a fairy tale, I believe. And um, and I think that um, it does that really uh, beautifully. It's a great That's movie. good one. Miyazaki in general is making yeah. modern fairy tales. Yeah, I don't think Miyazaki directed Wild at Heart, but you're right. I, I you like haven't Miyazaki. seen his cut? Well, if he had, Todd, it would have been animated. <laughs> his cut's his cut's pretty quote unquote wild. He he, he has more Defoe. Not not something I expected, but that's more Defoe. Fewer teeth, oh, more Defoe. Yeah. That's my Defoe. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Those are dummies, dummy. <laughs> Back to formula. Um, all right. <laughs> you can't do this to me. All right, we got we got some questions that came yeah. our way as well. So let's ask these as we wrap this up. Uh, what are your favorite movies featuring relationships relationships between humans and non humans, especially fantastic beings? This is from Gary. Oh, interesting. The favorite, yeah, relationship between humans and non humans. But fantastic beings part is interesting. The Shape of Water. So you can have Del Toro. Yeah. Uh, Planet of the Apes. There you go. There you go. Um. The the Planet of the Musical. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm about to recite the entire episode. From We're gonna all do that. We we probably we probably could do a pretty good job of it. <laughs> yeah, it's the part um, I was born to play, baby. <laughs> from chimpanzee to chimpanzee. Um, Can I play the piano anymore? I love piano. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, well, when you were going with human non-humans before the fantastic part. Uh, from Gary, I would have thought of something like Prometheus with um the Davids, or even the Alien series with all the the bishops, but um, basically the androids. You know, I, I I'm gonna say this movie only because Julie and I laugh about it so often. But Harry and the Hendersons is a movie. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, it, it's not a good movie, but it's a movie. Oh, um, that lives up to the uh answer uh, that we need for this particular yeah, question. Fantastic Beast part, yeah. <clears throat> it is a fantastic feast, and it's it's a great movie. We talking about there's two actors that are flawless. One is Kazale, the other is Kevin Peter Hall, who played the Predator and Harry <laughs> Potter. Yeah, seven <laughs> foot one, right? They're, they they are the two actors that are flawless in their filmographies. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, the next question here is: What do you think will happen if Sin World uh, Sin World goes under? Do you think that some of the streaming services who are partly responsible for their demise might take over some of the cinemas, uh, for example, Disney? Hmm. It's a sad story about Cineworld and uh, the Regal Cinemas, but um, well, I for one thing, it's not going to go under. I mean, filing for blank bankrupt. I mean, AMC filed for bankruptcy. I mean, they're going to still go. It's just yeah, reshuffling doing things. Chapter eleven, right? Yeah, but um, but like to a... answer, I mean, to answer the question most directly, uh, it, it's Disney is not going to buy movie theaters. They're not yeah, going to do that. They can't do that. That's not a. Well, they already that have is, like yeah, a it's... huge power hold on the streaming services. So, um, yeah. I mean, you know, I don't think it's going to go under either. I think, it, again, the restructuring, it's going to just change. But also, it 
it's a bummer because Aaron and I talked about this like years ago, um, where we were talking about like how to get people back in the theaters and, and what theaters are doing differently, and also why you should go check out theaters instead of watching these at home. And you know, Regal has done things like here's our new uh, RPX. You know, it's like 270 degrees worth of screen and giant uh, formats and whatever else. And it's it's kind of a shame that people were just like, first of all, the pandemic, yes, but also that uh, uh, people have sort of said that streaming is is okay uh, but some movies are, are really worth going to the theater for well i mean i mean there's i definitely think there's like a massive conversation to have that we probably shouldn't start it you know one hour and 45 minutes into this conversation <laughs> this week but um but i mean you know ultimately i think what it comes down to is that it's clear from this summer in my opinion that when you make a movie that's worth going to see on the big screen people will go see it Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, like if it's Top Gun, if it's even if it's Minions or whatever, I mean, like people, people want to see things in the theater. But what is also happening is that is that streaming services are cannibalizing um, movie going audiences because they're delivering so much stuff um, on such a uh, like unbroken stream yeah. that people it's hard for anything to cut through the noise. That's in like, let's say going back to the movie we're talking about this week, 3000 years long. That's a movie that is unfortunately not going to cut through the noise of giant studio muscle, con- mm-hmm. you know, or compete with stuff, that, you know, even literally me time. I yeah, mean, I like, you know, say, it's like yeah. if they if they have if they can watch me time on Netflix, why would they go out of their house to maybe go see a movie that they don't know really what it's about, but it doesn't it look kind of weird. Like, I mean, I mean this with all due respect to this movie that I really like. I'm like, I understand why people wouldn't do that, you know. And so I I do think that. But what I also see happening is um, with HBO Max and everything that's happening with um, Warner Brothers and Discovery is that, you know, I think this is a very direct result of of the the idea of the bubble of streaming bursting because people are not as interested and there's a finite audience. I mean, that's why mm-hmm. Netflix is struggling so much is because they've fully saturated the market and they function on a profit basis, which means that they need to keep growing their, their viewership and their subscriber base, but they can't add any more because they have every fucking person in the world mm-hmm. already on their subscriber base. And so there's no way to grow and so what you have is people who are overwhelmed by choices without good things. And then you have movie theaters that are, you know, I, I, I've never been quite as um, uh, critical of, you know, I, like there are theaters that, of course, had bad presentation and everything. But I don't necessarily mm-hmm. think that it's so bad that people don't want to go to the theaters because I like going to the movies, even if it's even if it's like kind of a yeah, lousy I've movie. Been to my share of shitty you know. theaters. Yeah. 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 You know, um, and I think that. um I think that, you know, like if theater chains go under, I think like, you know, I mean, even theater chains like um, the Draft House, which are really fun to go to. I do think like the anarchic energy that 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 like that chain used to have now, it's still even in it, it. Like, I think now it's very corporatized and I don't mean that in a bad way. And it's a great place to go. But I do. I think that like there was a place where it'd be like oh this is wild the programming's insane and now they're just pretty much showing the same movies as everybody else with a couple of repertory titles mm-hmm. and they're also serving nachos and you know what i love loaded nachos so <laughs> i will go there all the time but you know but i i think that you know theater going is not in any danger but i also think that like it, it is going through a very difficult time because of 
again, I think the offset of streaming coming to uh, a bit of a, a going, you know, realization that people don't need 46 different subscriptions. They wonder if maybe there was one way, I don't know, through maybe like some sort of cable or cord of some kind, <laughs> they <laughs> could get all of these things at the same time instead I'm of taking subscribing. Some notes down. I think I have an yeah. idea. It's, you know, we're um, at it. We, we, again, we've talked about this before, eh? but it's like, yeah. The, the pandemic just it sped things along as far as the, the state of what audience consumption was like right you have you have yeah. a system in place where there's options available to you at home as far as finding pre you know a sort of premium entertainment and because the, the pandemic literally stopped everyone from going to that place and just let everyone down this path it increased expect exponentially as far and all these you know there are already services but there, there's plenty more services as well mm -hmm. but the in my view, the the good part about that, to a degree, regardless of the state that the companies that own these places are in, yeah, you get to this breaking point where it's like you can't, and you've certainly talked about this plenty, you can't just keep producing $200 million pieces of crap. Like, it's not going to yeah. keep working. It's not going to build anything new at the same time. Theaters, and, you know, looking at the summer specifically, like, we had less than half the number of movies we normally do get released in theaters this summer. Mm -hmm. That's just you know, like it's for a variety of reasons but mainly because studios have just been holding back for based off for a variety of re i mean it's and so i i do think or like, they didn't hold back and now they don't because of production um uh you know slowdowns uh -huh. they don't have enough stuff to put in there i mean yeah you know we've been at the at the av club you know we we review between four and eight movies a week by, so, so do I <laughs> in general you know yeah yeah, yeah. but I mean like but but the thing is that I really am ignoring like a lot of stuff as the film editor that is I'm not talking about like ignoring things that are of cultural significance but like I, I'm sure you guys get emails all the time for random horror movies yep. or you know yeah. these sort of like little films that may or may not ever play theaters that are just these like streaming things right and I'm like is this a real movie or not and like a lot of times you just go you know it's not and, and you know, and it's a, it's a, um, it's a difficult thing to figure out what to write about because you know, like, and and then you have movies like Prey that come out, and everybody's convinced that that movie would have been done huge business if it had been in the theater. But the truth is that like that movie's like the eighth Predator movie, and mm -hmm. people are not tearing down the doors to go see an eighth Predator movie. So they probably it probably wasn't going to do well in theaters. But because they got to see it on a streaming service for which they already have paid, they can watch it and they can champion it and they can talk about how good it is and they can mm -hmm. talk about how much they love it. And they're like, oh, this is oh, we're great that I got. And they get to be part of that conversation. Mm -hmm. And that's the advantage of streaming, which is different than the experience of going to see Top Gun and that movie blowing your dick off because it's so fucking amazing. Yeah. And then you go, you know, I really have to see this movie again because the screen is so, inc it's incredible watching that movie on the big screen. Oh, yeah. And the, I mean, the issue there is that you only get so many movies that blow your dick off on streaming every now and then. Right. And that's correct. You know, finding those we, diamonds we're down that, two dicks already, guys. Finding that diamond, <laughs> finding that diamond in the rough. It's like, well, there should be more diamonds if you want to make it worthwhile to continue doing a streaming server. The, the, the thing I was leading to as far as, you know, the lack of movies coming out this year is that next year, should be better there's a lot more lined up already and there's right. not good, you know and unless that comet comes and destroys the planet 
there's not a reason to be closing down everything to make everything. You really just teed that one right up. (laughs) I'm sorry. I just had a little, now no one will ever see that Robert Rodriguez movie. Let's just, let's just say Mickey Fitz told me a few things I shouldn't probably know. You said it three times. (laughs) (laughs) Do you hear that knocking? But I, but I, you're there already. But I do wonder if the, um, if there's like a pivot point, if there's a pivot point cup, if, if we're, if we're at that pivot point, looking at Warner brothers and looking at where things are, with certain other places, if that is going to, you know, actually lead to something "quote unquote" good as far as hey, there's a whole lot more in theaters next year, and we're making then you know the various you know Netflix or whatever you're making more you know choices as far as how much content they want to put out in the week. Maybe that'll tip scales in a certain way where you can't always get a Top Gun uh, to you know make up a third of the box office for the summer. But if you have a shit ton more movies, that's not going to hurt either as far as giving supply for people that are demanding to see things in theaters. But yeah, what? I mean, I, I think there's, I think there's like a, a a sort of side conversation that that needs to happen about what constitutes a movie that's really worth going to theaters anyway. Now, and I'm because you know it's like we've seen, you know, I mean, you look at like, I mean, Me Time came to Netflix, but like Daddy's Home now is a movie I couldn't, I almost could not imagine coming to a theater mm-hmm. to go watch. Like, I mean, it's not that I think that the movie's so profoundly terrible, but it's not special, in my opinion, enough to go to theaters. And so well, you end up with because the... that could go either way, right? Like some of these comedies, just because they're a comedy and it's the only comedy of August, you know, We Are the Millers, not a good movie. That made a hundred million dollars. I mean, it's yeah. or, or something like, what was I going to say? You know, uh, the, the opposite of this is Disney has trained us to not go and see Pixar movies in theaters. Sad. Uh, I mean, like... <laughs> It's there's all kinds of variables, and obviously the, right. the environments change as far as what kind of movies people want to spend their time and money on. Uh, and you just we need to get back to a, yeah. a a normal release pattern compared to where things have been. Even if this has been normal, more normal than it has been the past couple of years, we need to get back to something that represents what it feels like to have a proper movie season to yeah. get yeah. people to 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 understand what the state of theaters is. If we can put a you know a two hander comedy in august in theaters and see if that results in the same way that he used to right yeah yeah i mean i think also you know it's like i think we're less and less and less able to create a sense of a monoculture now where like there is no gathering you know and so i think and and i think it's a it's a good problem in some ways to have because it means that you know people want to seek out anything's possible which is a really terrific movie that premiered on prime Mm-hmm. you know, that has um, a niche appeal, but also I think is a very um, broadly appealing film, you know, they can find that for themselves. And if you, whether or not you liked they, they, them, I think that's another good example of a movie that's, oh, yeah. that, um, that is not only a, like a horror movie, um, uh, but it's one that has a very specific um, idea that it's targeting that may or may not be something that every audience member may want but the fact that a person can now find that more easily than ever to me is a is is a good thing there's value Um, there you know people can see themselves more but what that also means is everybody's seeking those things separately as opposed to going you know what's the thing we all rally around and and ultimately what we end up doing is you know we get you know it's like thor comes out and you're excited about it and but it's like a weekend there's no longer that conversation doesn't continue and so but which i want to go back and i'm going to back you up here aaron which is that you mentioned rrr and you have these movies that sort of against all common wisdom 
I mean, we have Top Gun, which I think is one of the winners of the summer. Mm-hmm. And the other one is really RRR because you're sitting there looking at this movie that you're like, this movie's in a foreign language. It's a three hour movie that is shown in limited release, um, you know, in theaters. And people are going in droves to seek this out because everybody's like, you have to see this fucking movie. It's right. just unbelievable. And, you know, I, I went and saw it maybe in June or July. I can't remember exactly when I went by myself and I was like, this is, I'm like, and you know what? I was uh-huh. like, they were all right. And <laughs> yeah. I was super excited and loved the experience. And it was great. And it was great to see it on the big screen. I actually went home. It was already on Netflix at that point, And I like showed, uh my wife like the 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 dance scene because i love a dance scene in any movie but that uh-huh. dance scene is it's so amazing. unbelievable yeah, and you know and i was like you should watch this and i'm like one one day we'll watch the whole thing but i just want to show you this moment or whatever nice. you know and it's like those are the two things one is the power of of really the dwindling power of movie stardom that can make a movie like top gun maverick hold and right. not released before it was supposed to and be released in theaters and people see it and it's good enough for people to go and then you have a movie like that that works on pure word of mouth with rrr and it completely transcends every expectation that anybody had or yeah. like everything everything all at once which yeah, i was gonna say a hundred million dollars yeah yeah yeah, yeah, like yeah. It, no, it's word of absolutely. mouth and staying power in the theaters was because of all that but yeah you guys are totally right uh, also, this has been a great edition, like episode fifty-eight of the streaming wars without now with Aaron Dave. Like, yeah, definitely terrible. is like a, a, a prevalent topic that we talk about, like almost every other week. It feels like yeah, uh, terrible, yeah. terrible question, Chris. I, I'm sorry that you, <laughs> you threw this at us, and we just just tried to cast it Jeez, off. Jeez, Chris. Yeah. Um, well, well, we look forward to inviting you to the forum in December when we have this with um, other uh, editors of publications. Yeah, yeah in Sweden. Yes. Yeah. Great. Great. Um, is, is it? it is, you know, that's press. the home. That's the home base of Brentanas. Um, <laughs> yeah. so, you know. Son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> well, with all that said, that's going to do it for this week's episode. About now, there and you can find more of my work at my personal blog, thecodezeek.com. Everything I do ends up over there, but I also do write reviews for League of Entertainment, and I write for YOSO Blue as well. And I'm on Twitter, Aaron's PS4. Abe? You can find more fun stuff over my Instagram, Abe.Mua, and Twitter.com slash Moose hashtag Idris Elba DJing uh, with elf ears and mermaid leggings. Long hashtag. Yes. Todd Gilchrist, where can people find more of you online? Uh, well, at the AV Club, uh, where I am the film editor uh, currently. Uh, and, um, you know, occasionally, um, I do a little bit of writing for Fangoria. Um, I still do like a sort of score column there, but they can find me on Twitter at MT Gilchrist and on Instagram at best dressed Todd. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, those, those are the best places probably. All right. Well, you can find all the other episodes about now with their name on iTunes, Audio Spotify and Stitcher. SoundCloud, Podmax, and HHWLOD. Feel free to email us at notnotpodcast at gmail.com. Write on a physical wealth, Facebook.com slash podcast, or, or tweet us at twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast. And of course, there's our Instagram page, instagram.com slash outnow underscore podcast as well. And remember, leave a review on iTunes for us. Thank uh, Todd, thank you very much for joining us this week. Thank you, Todd. It was my pleasure. I, I always love, uh, like I said, I, I was speaking very fondly about how much I appreciate get you guys invite me on here, and I always have a great time. So I appreciate that. So glad we had a great time with you yeah. as well. Look forward to having you back again. But that is going to do it for this week's episode. Next week is the Summer Movie Gamble X Results Show. So stay tuned for that. 
But until next time, so long and goodbye. Hello? I wish I was a little bit taller. I wish I was a baller. I wish I had a girl who looked good. I would call her. Wish I had a rabbit in a hat with a bat and a six-form part. I wish I was like six foot nine so I could get with Leo. She cause she don't know me, but yo, she's really fine. You know, I see her all the time everywhere I go. And even in my dreams, I can scheme a way to make her mine. Cause I know she's living fat. Her boyfriend's tall and he plays ball. So how am I gonna compete with that? Cause when it comes to playing basketball, I'm always last to be picked. And in some cases, never picked at all. So I just lean up on the wall. Or sit up in the bleachers with the rest of the girls who came to watch they man ball. Dad, y'all, I never understood black weather jocks get the fly girls. And me, I get the hood rats. I Tell them scat, skittles, kebab, got hit with a bottle, and in a hospital for dark in that mess. I confess it's a shame when you living in a city that's the size of a box and nobody knows your name. Glad I came to my senses, like quick, quick, got sick, sick to my stomach, overcoming by thoughts of me and her together, right? So when I asked her out, she said I wasn't a type. I wish I was a little bit taller, I wish I was a baller, I wish I had a girl who looked good, I would call her. I wish I had a rabbit in a hat.